Welcome to Big Sky Mysteries. As I am in the midst of a conference for work, working on implementing a new POS to replace the previous POS POS and all that entails, this episode is a compilation of some of the latest narrations from the past few months. Thank you for your patience and your patronage. If you like terrifying tales and have not done so already, please hit that subscribe button along with the notification bell so you make sure not to miss a single scare. Now, enjoy. Night Shift at Old Hotel by Avi Gabs. This is my first Reddit post. It may not be dramatic or particularly scary to some people, but I wanted to share the experience anyway. I recently got a job at a hotel downtown from where I live. I have never worked in the hotel industry before, so I had no idea what to expect. The time between applying for the job and being hired was less than 24 hours, which made me nervous, but I had been looking for several months and couldn't find anything. So I thought I'd take a chance. This hotel is about 150 years old and has plenty of character. Behind the front desk, there are places where the wallpaper has torn away revealing the psychedelic wallpaper from what I can only guess to be the 1970s. We're talking bright pink, neon green, hookah-induced vision type of wallpaper. The walls and the upper floors are painted bright orange and yellow, and the hallways are narrow enough to give off a shining kind of feel to it. But I'll elaborate on that later. My manager is a young Chinese man in his mid-twenties, only five years older than me. The man who owns the building is also Chinese. The owner is friendly and kind to employees, but he's also rich enough that he doesn't really care if the hotel isn't up to par. I learned recently that he also owns one of the more run-down shopping centers downtown so this might explain the less-than-five-star quality of the hotel. Probably about three-and-a-half stars, in my opinion. Some people describe the place as quaint, unique, full of character, while others describe it as outdated or disappointing. As a history enthusiast, I would agree that the place is full of character But I also think the owner should be a little more concerned about keeping the place clean. There are lots of problems in this hotel, including mice, broken toilets, falling ceiling tiles, leaks, and other maintenance nightmares. The fancier rooms on the upper floors have real fireplaces in them, so that adds the risk of fires at the hand of careless guests. Mice are a common problem, and I'm thankful the guests don't have to see all the dusty traps filled with dead rodents in the basement. 
But by far, the most interesting aspect of the hotel is that it's supposed to be haunted. There are two ghosts that have been reported in the building, as well as the adjoining pub next door. Back when the hotel was first built, it had the reputation of being a complete dive. A lady now named Lady Churchill died in the hotel, and her spirit supposedly lingers in the haunted room 49. Guests will occasionally smell her perfume or see her face in the mirror. One of the most frightening stories included someone opening the door only to have Lady Churchill fly at them in fury. On my first day, when my boss toured me around the hotel, he pointed out the haunted room to me. Lady Churchill has also been spotted at the fireplace in the pub arguing with her boyfriend, the other resident ghost, Brady. Brady was stabbed to death on a basement stairwell. The stairwell is not in use anymore as it leads from the street directly into the basement. Instead, it's used to store extra chairs and miscellaneous items. The light is never turned on, which adds more of a creep factor. My shift is the day shift, from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. Every morning when I come in, I have to check the entire hotel by myself in search of homeless people sleeping in the back stairwell or trying to get in through the basement. I'm not an intimidating person. I'm a short female, not physically fit, and too friendly for my own good. If I did find someone hiding in the hotel, what was I supposed to do about it? I'm not sure which creeps me out more. The fact that I'm going around looking for people who shouldn't be there? Or the idea that I have to walk through dark and silent areas known to be haunted all by myself? My sweep of the hotel includes all four floors of guest rooms, the kitchen, the back stairwell, the basement stairwell, and the basement. To give you some context, the back stairwell serves as a fire escape connecting all the floors together. It goes straight down to street level. It's always cold and echoey in there, and as I've said before, full of dead mice. When I was first told about the haunted stairway, I mistakenly thought they meant the fire escape stairs as they go down to the basement level. The four floors for guest rooms, in all their overlook hotel glory, are shaped like a square horseshoe, which means more than enough blind corners where creepy twins might suddenly appear. Lady Churchill's haunted room is at the end of the hall around one of those blind corners, and yes, I do think about that every time I search the hotel. There is an elevator and an interior stairway, the one guests are supposed to use. Behind the elevator is this old connecting hallway that basically serves no purpose anymore. 
In the past, it may have been useful, but now it just serves as a secret passageway that goes behind the elevator and comes out on the other end of the horseshoe. This hallway especially needs to be searched for homeless people, drunks, or people having sex. The basement is by far the creepiest part of the hotel. To get there, you can either take the elevator or go through the pub and down the stairs. I prefer to go through the pub because there are some fascinating black and white photos from when the hotel was first built, and I love to look at them. It's also the best place to see the age of the brick foundation. Anyway, the basement is used for storing beer kegs, firewood, planter pots, housekeeping items, and maintenance tools, among other things. It's usually deserted. Now that I know the dark, unused basement stairway is where Brady's spirit is supposed to be, I think I'll try to spend even less time down there. This week is my second week of work, and my boss has put me on the afternoon slash evening shift just so I can get a sense of what it's like in case I have to cover anybody in the future. Yesterday was my first late shift, and in that time, I learned a whole bunch of things I didn't want to know from the lady I worked with. This woman, let's call her Peggy, has been at the hotel for 14 years. She's seen all there is to see and is well known for her stories. I listened to some of these stories and honestly, part of me thinks she's full of it. But the other part is going to cautiously believe her on the off chance that it's true. Here are some things I learned about the hotel in the span of one shift. The man I'm replacing was not actually fired for chronic lateness, as my boss had told me, but instead for sexual harassment. The head of housekeeping, a man I get along with very well, is a friend of his. The day before, Peggy caught a drug addict rooting around in the private back office after hours. We looked over the security footage and he was definitely searching for something. We now keep the office doors locked. There were two guests several years ago who stayed at the hotel, and the next day, they robbed a jewelry store downtown and fled back to the hotel with everything they'd stolen. There was a massive police standoff on the roof, SWAT teams and all. There's a news article about it online Otherwise, I never would have believed it. The bedrock of the hotel can be found in the boiler room. There's a slight gap that has been filled in on the top right corner that connects directly to the street. One time, Peggy came down to the boiler room to find a man half through the gap head first, trying to get in because he wanted to know what was down there. That image terrifies me. In the span of that one night shift, an alarm went off in the basement, 
the police showed up at the pub and a guest verbally abused the day staff over a non-existent shuttle to the hospital. No, not an ambulance, a shuttle. Taking the bus was beneath him, I suppose. And at my bus stop, after my shift, a man was shooting up in public. My city has a drug epidemic going on right now. My bus took half an hour to arrive, and when I got off at my stop, it was as foggy as Silent Hill. I felt as if I should be looking around for Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees. It is October, after all. That's one night shift down. I have another tonight and one more the day after. If anything else interesting happens, I'll keep you folks updated. I mostly just wanted to get all this off my chest. It's amazing how different the hotel is after 3 p.m. Much louder, that's for sure, thanks to the pub on one side and bar on the other. Everyone I've gotten to know during my first week of work has already gone home, leaving me with drunks, strangers, and Peggy's crazy stories. One thing's for sure, after three nights of this, I'll never complain about getting up early again. Late Night Fishing Encounter in Eastern Montana Submitted by Mr. M. I grew up on the Fort Peck Indian Reservation in eastern Montana and spent much of my time fishing with friends, especially night fishing. We would often pack up tons of soda, junk food, lanterns, gear, etc., and just head down to the Missouri River close by, or 40 miles up the road to Fort Peck Lake. It was the summer of 2006, and I was 19 at the time, and had just moved back after a year in college, and had gotten my first apartment by myself. One night, a friend and I decided to go fishing at an old steel bridge that was out of town a few miles. As usual, we got snacks and gear and shot on down the road towards evening. It is probably important to note, too, that we were pretty innocent youths, never drinking or doing drugs of any sort. Our snacks always consisted of soda, candy, or sunflower seeds for the most part. We set up on the side of the bridge less visited by drunks and cast it in. By that time, it was already dark out and we had the lantern on and were chatting away and pulling in the occasional fish. Our conversations often found their way to talking about aliens, monsters, ghosts, and the occasional supposed sightings 
of things in the area from other people. One of the creatures that came up often were the river people, which are like a small nomadic spirit or fairy of sorts that travels along the rivers and is based in Native American folklore. My friend was Native American and would often talk about some stories his parents or grandma had told him. It said, if you hear whistling by water at night, you were not supposed to whistle back because it was the river people and they would find it offensive and attack you. It was also said that if you left food out, they would take it as an invitation into your home. Probably the most terrifying part was that they were supposedly able to look into your soul and see if you are a good or bad person as you slept. And if you awoke during this time, you would find yourself paralyzed until they moved on. This night was just the same as always, and soon my friend asked in a joking manner, what if we see glowing red eyes come close to the shore and stare at us from beneath the water? I laughed and said, I don't know. Throw it my candy bar and keep on fishing, I guess, or something along those lines. A while later, I look up the river past the large pillars of the bridge and see what appears to be a red light offshore, low over the water. It looks like it could be one of the lights on the front of a boat, which wouldn't be out of the ordinary because there are often people out on their boats fishing at night. Also, on the other side of the bridge is a place to put your boat in, and we had heard people on the other side not terribly long ago. I pointed out to my friend, laughing and say, there's your red eyes or eye, and he chuckled about it as well. We went back to fishing and soon hear a vehicle peel out across the dirt road where we thought the boat was close to. A little weird for the vehicle to take off so carelessly in a place where the roads are so bad. But we really didn't give it too much thought. Probably just some stupid drunks taking their chances at driving back into town. Soon, the red light I had pointed out earlier started to make its way out from behind one of the large bridge pillars that was close to us but still out in the water a little way, maybe about 50 feet away or so. My friend and I looked up, expecting to see a boat, 
and do the customary wave to a fellow fisherman. It was a common occurrence that fishermen on boats passing by would ask if we had had any luck and there would be a small friendly exchange of words. Except this time, there wasn't a boat. It was just a glowing red orb that came around the pillar and as it came around it split into five or six smaller orbs and they filed into a single line. They were maybe about the size of a soccer ball, possibly smaller. The orbs started to do an almost playful zigzag pattern and they all kept a uniform spacing in formation. It was a movement that definitely had intelligence behind it. My friend and I looked at each other and I whispered in a drawn out, what the hell is that? He shook his head gobsmacked, muttering back, I have no idea. He said, maybe it's a string of reflectors from something, catching the light off our lantern? So he turned off the lantern, plunging us into darkness except for all of the stars above, and these orbs that kept on glowing as they slowly made their way closer. Soon they were straight out in front of us. What else was strange about these lights was that at first we couldn't tell if they were above or below the water. They clearly glowed with some energy, but it was like the light didn't go anywhere. Once we realized they were above the water, we still didn't see any reflection on the water. It was like all the light was contained and didn't travel any further than the orbs themselves. What's more is how the land was formed where we were at. There was a kind of backflow of water closer to the shore. So out in the river, it flowed right to left, but closer to the shore, the water swirled back around and there was a section the water flowed left to right. The orbs were in this section and they were going against the flow of water. So we knew it was not just some garbage flowing downstream. This was also way before the time of personal drones, of course. Besides, these things were completely silent and flying smoothly along in a tight formation. My friend asked, what should we do? I said I wasn't sure. Then I told him he should cast his fishing line at it 
He told me to screw myself and we agreed that was probably not a good idea. About this time, the lights were almost directly straight off the shore in front of us. Maybe 20 feet away now. The red glowing orbs started to fly in a wide circle, still just above or maybe even touching the water. The circle they flew in started to get smaller and smaller as well as rise up slightly. They started to fly faster and faster until they were almost a ring of light. The circle they flew got smaller and smaller until poof, they all just vanished. We didn't feel threatened or scared, but you could tell we were both in just disbelief and awe. It was one of the most amazing things I have ever seen in my life, even till this day. We sat in silence for a while and my friend finally asked what I thought that was and I said I had no clue. Maybe a UFO? I have no freaking clue. We sat and fished for a few more hours, talking about the thing we had seen before, calling it a night and heading back into town. That night, when I got home to my basement apartment, I took a shower and cleaned up from fishing and jumped in bed. My bed was right under the window, which was probably too small for me to crawl out of if need be. My whole apartment was probably a death trap if a fire ever had broken out. Anyways, my back was to the window as I laid on my right side and I just got under the blanket when suddenly there was this deafening and jarring buzzing sound like a drill in my ear and it sounded like it was getting closer and closer to my ear. I freaked out and tried to look over my shoulder and up at what the sound was coming from as well as trying to roll or fly out of bed to get away. I found that I was paralyzed and couldn't move or at least my head and feet felt locked in place. But my midsection felt like I could move it some. What's more is when I went to move my eyes to look up, they would instantly start jerking or almost bouncing back to face forward across the room. I couldn't look towards the window, towards where the sound was coming from. No matter how hard I tried to look up, my eyes would be forced to look away. I tried to roll away, 
and it was like a rubber band was around me, pulling me back and slowly building more and more tension the harder I tried to roll away or twist my midsection off the bed when suddenly it was like the rubber band snapped and I popped loose flying off the bed. At that time, it was morning now and I grabbed my alarm clock soaked with sweat and it was a little more than six hours past when I first laid in bed. It was like when I popped out of the grasp of whatever it was, I instantly moved six hours ahead, all in one falling motion. I know what sleep paralysis is, and it sounds like it very well could have been that. But what I find strange is that it was the night of seeing those weird red orbs, and I have never experienced anything like it before that night or since. Nothing even close that could be considered sleep paralysis. Also, even till this day, on occasions, that ear has a weird, sharp pain deep down in it from time to time. The best way to describe it is when you get a piercing and that feeling of the needle just as it starts to poke the skin. I haven't had any lost memories come back nor suffer from nightmares or anything at all so I really do not know what happened. When I talked to my friend about my experience at my apartment, he did not really believe me despite what we saw that night together. And I ended up dropping the matter and not really talking about it anymore after that. As for what we saw, I don't know if it was a UFO or river spirits or what. I wouldn't mind seeing it or something again as long as we skip the late night visit afterwards. I'm afraid that it wasn't a dream by literal underscore semicolon. I already posted this under slash off my chest because it took me too long to find this subreddit and because it's been weighing on my heart. I've only been able to tell my sister, I'll call her Michelle, because she gets dreams like this too. I really wish this was something I could put on no sleep. Believe what you want, but to me, this is 100% real. For the past 10 years or so, 
I've been having some dreams that partially or totally end up happening in real life. At first, they were silly, trivial things. The first one I had was back in early 2007. I was just finishing up middle school, and my sisters and I were semi-obsessed with Disney Channel shows. My dream was a harmless hanging-out-with-celebrities dream. That particular dream featured the Sprouse twins from The Sweet Life. In the dream, I walked into a room where they were wearing fake muscle suits, one in red and one in blue, and flexing in the mirror. I was confused and asked, What are you guys doing? They whirled around quickly and replied, Nothing. A couple of months or so later, an episode came out where they became superheroes in red and blue muscle suits. Unfortunately, I hadn't taken to writing down my dreams until after this incident, so I don't have any proof that I dreamt it before it happened. Another one was a vague dream about spending the day with a guy, walking around, talking, and having fun. I didn't remember his face when I woke up, but I remembered his hair. He had a very pronounced cowlick at his forehead, and how it felt to hug him at the end, and how real it all felt. Literally two or three months later, I ran into a friend of mine at a local amusement park. We were both there for school field trips, but for completely different purposes, and from schools three hours apart. I ended up hanging out with him for the whole trip until I had to leave. When I hugged him goodbye, my dream flashed into my mind. This trip was exactly the same as my dream, down to his hair and the hug. On the bus ride home, I stared out the window in shock. This one is documented in my journals, and I still get goosebumps when I think of it. The dreams took a turn for the unexpectedly dark sometime later. My sisters, Michelle and Lizzie, and I made friends with two English kids through a writing website Lizzie and I used. These two kids were really goofy and funny, and after talking to them for a while, they told us that one of them, I'll call him Mike, had cancer and was in remission. A while later, they revealed that the cancer was back, but Mike was going in for treatment again. Cue the dream. I dreamt that we, my sisters and I, went to visit them across the pond. I hung back with Mike's mom while 
Everyone else played in the yard. I asked her about Mike, how he was doing. Quietly, she told me that this time, the cancer was terminal. He wouldn't make it. We got the same news in real life a couple of months after that. He and Lizzie were really good friends, and she took it hard. I think she still writes Dear Mike at the beginning of her journal entries, and it's been almost six years. I've started to recognize the dreams that are potentially real, and I had one two nights ago. In the dream, a friend of mine was crying. At first, I didn't know why, and she didn't tell me. But then, I realized her baby bump was gone. She'd lost her child. I hugged her tightly for a long time before I woke up. Right now, my friend is five months pregnant and due in July. I'm praying that I'm wrong about this dream. For Maria Street by Benson 4535 So I've had a long history with the paranormal. It started very young, and as I grew older, I started hunting for them. I decided to submit the long tale of how I got brought into this craziness. I was born in a small town called Penetanguishing, Ontario, Canada. Now, my dad told me that growing up in our first house, there was a lot of activity that was a little unnerving. I had a friend that my parents could not see. I described her as an older lady named Mary. Now, I would sit in my bedroom and listen to Mary tell me story after story for hours on end. My dad was very worried about this. Eventually, he decided to ask me about Mary. I started telling him about how she looked and what she would tell me, including a story about my dad breaking a statue when he was nine years old. This caught my dad by surprise. Apparently, said statue was broken at his babysitter's and as far as he knew, the babysitter had never told my grandma. He asked my grandmother about it and she looked at him oddly as he told the story, then told him she had never heard of that story. This sent a chill down his spine. So he asked my grandmother what the first name of the babysitter was, as he had always called her Mrs. Desrochers. Her name was Marianne. My dad was floored. When he got home, he came into my room where I was talking to Mary. He just watched from the door as I sat there talking to some invisible person 
about my day and toys and anything else that was in my mind. Eventually, my parents came to see Mary as a positive despite the odd things that would happen. For instance, when it got cold, blankets would inexplicably be wrapped around my sister and myself. Yet the blankets were stored too high for us to reach. When asked, I would tell them about Mary bringing them. Not all of the spirits of that house were good. As children, we were afraid of a separate room in the basement next to the laundry room. It was a barren concrete room. We used to complain of a terrifying man in there who was chained to the wall. As I grew older, I felt it was silly to be afraid of this man. Mary was long gone from my mind and I would pass through the room with no issues. Until one day, when I was home with the chicken pox, my grandmother was watching me. I was about eight at the time. I was helping my grandmother with laundry when she had to bring up a basket of clean laundry. I knew how to work the washer and dryer and how to switch the clothes, so I did that while she ran up. I was almost done when I heard something weird from the next room, the barren room. I stopped and listened for it again. A few minutes went by and nothing happened. So I finished and went to turn on the dryer when I heard it again. It sounded like a chain being dropped. I stood in silence as I heard it again, then a metal dragging sound. I then made a very poor decision. I began walking toward the room. As I stepped inside the room, all the sounds had stopped. I saw nothing in the room. I stood there for several minutes just glancing around. Nothing stirred. I turned to leave when standing right there in the doorway was a tall, thin man, dirty and torn clothes draped on him. Around his leg was a long, rusty chain. I was frozen. He walked oddly. I, I could see the skin over his thin limbs stretch like elastic as he shambled towards me. This is where I fell over and covered up. I let out a blood-curdling screech until I felt hands on me. I started to scramble and fight back until I heard my grandmother's voice. What is it? What's wrong? I opened my eyes and realized my grandmother was holding me. My heart was racing and I blurted out the whole story. She just looked at me worryingly and brought me upstairs. We moved a few months later. I never set foot in that basement again. In my teenage years, I did some research and found out that the people who owned our house before had a son with a mental disorder of some sort. They abused and tortured the poor kid and chained him to that basement. His existence was not known until after his parents had passed and they found him chained in that basement. He had starved to death. The thought of that sends chills through me to this day.
Thanks again for joining me for this compilation of narrations from the past few months. A special shout out to all my current subscribers and my new subscribers, and thank you to everyone watching. Did you enjoy this episode? If so, and you haven't done so already, please hit the subscribe button and notification bell to know when the latest horror is available. Want to hear your true or fictional scary story narrated by me on this channel? Check the description below for more details. I'll see you in your nightmares. Good night.